Today's episode is sponsored by Alliance Leisure, the UK's leading leisure development specialist. Over the last 30 years, Alliance has worked with numerous local authorities to design and develop community sustainable leisure environments that encourage active lives, promote community cohesion, and tackle health inequalities. With a diverse portfolio of more than 220 leisure developments ranging from single site projects to multi-million pound complete leisure portfolio transformations, Alliance Leisure Services can be procured through the UK Leisure Framework. The framework is open to all public sector organisations in the UK. For more information, visit allianceleisure.co.uk. Hello and welcome to The Truth About Local Government. We are delighted today to have Wayne Bexton with us. Now, Wayne is the Director of Green Growth Investment and Assess Assets at Nottinghamshire County Council. And alongside that, he's chair of the D2N2 Low Carbon Board. Wayne, I know how busy you are. Thank you so much for joining us today. How are you? Thanks, Matt. Really well. The sun is shining and, and looking forward to the conversation. I don't know where you are. The sun is not shining here. Uh, <laughs> it's been raining for about 45 minutes. Okay, so today, guys, what we're going to be discussing, uh, the five areas that Wayne is particularly passionate about and very knowledgeable on, role of local authorities in enhancing and protecting the environment, managing estates in a more efficient uh, manner and aligned to new ways of working, carbon neutrality aligned with economic regeneration, building retrofit, domestic and commercial, and devolution opportunities. What a, um, well, that's quite a, quite a, uh, a lot to get through today. So let's crack straight on with this, Wayne. So what, in your opinion, is the role of local authorities in enhancing and protecting the environment? Yeah, thanks, Matt. And look, something I'm really passionate about and obviously worked in in local government fields for um, for, for over uh, 20 years now. And I think over that time, certainly the opportunities for local government to influence protection of the environment has, has really um, been enhanced. Uh, and not least through some of the relationships we've forged collaboratively. So the partnerships we've created uh, both between uh, local authorities through via the LEPs and obviously directly with with government, but also with then with some of those uh, larger government agency organisations like the Environment Agency and such like. So I think there's a, a real crucial part for authorities to play in setting the direction. One of the things I always say is a local authority typically in their area is probably responsible for less than 3% of the carbon emissions, so a relatively small amount. But as a place lead and as a convening role, uh, a local authority has a real uh, a real powerful remit. I think probably the the best example for how that's advanced over recent years is is the local energy hubs as they started out, now net zero hubs. And there's five of those across England covering um, the the southeast, southwest, midlands, uh, northeast, northwest. Um, and I was delighted in in the city council, Nottingham City Council, in my role there as director of environment and sustainability, um, that we could host the Midlands Net Zero Hub. And that essentially gave us a remit across nine local enterprise partnership areas, so Welsh border to east coast. Um, and the ability to bring cash directly into the region. So a kind of devolution, if you like, around environment and net zero. Uh, but it was so powerful because there was local issues understood by local government. We could have officers engaged in those different authorities and with the LEPs, and we could really prioritise funding coming from Treasury. And Treasury worked very closely with us via uh, the, the, the DESNES, as they are now, formerly Bayes, uh, government department. Uh, and that enabled us to, to get some real 
delivery at scale. And what government always told us is from a local government perspective, it was difficult to engage with individual net zero strategies or climate strategies, actually getting a holistic view across a region uh, empowered us to say, look, we know what we need to deliver, give us the cash locally and enabled us to, to fast track and, and see some of those plans enacted quicker than they would have been if those local authorities went it uh, alone. So I think that piece around galvanising authorities to work collaboratively to deliver uh, is where I think uh, a real difference can be made by local government. How challenging is it? Because we've all, we all know how uh, cash-strapped councils are at the moment. There's an increasing amount of demand across a wide variety of uh, service units within local government. How hard is it to keep climate change on the corporate agenda um, when there is so much uh, demand? Yeah, and there's a mix of, you're absolutely right, Matt, it, it, it is challenging. I think there's a mix of statutory uh, and discretionary services that fulfil and work to achieve that um, that kind of ultimate goal around environmental protection or net zero or carbon neutrality. Um, and that, to me, ultimately boils down to uh, a carrot and a stick approach. So you can use and deliver uh, on legislative requirements, for instance, minimum energy efficiency standard legislation. Local authorities got a very much a, a role and a part to play through uh, community protection, through housing provision to ensure EPC, so energy performance certificate standards are at a certain level. And that's often working with uh, private landlords across local authorities own estate etc etc so there's a real uh, stick there to say look standards must be adhered to um, and we want to see those standards achieved and and we'll support and, and offer advice but ultimately that's a, a, a requirement that's coming down through legislation so that's a little bit of the of the stick approach really and, and a statutory route to making sure we deliver and then I think the other part of it is building any of the non-statutory the discretionary into business as usual and actually, that doesn't have to be a financial burden for authorities. Uh, so environmental protection, carbon considerations, lots of authorities now putting that at the top table of decision making alongside those finance, legal, HR comments that we're all too familiar with on, on, on governance papers. So actually having environmental and carbon considerations at the outset of a decision an authority is taking can help shape that decision at no extra cost. Uh, but make sure it's the right thing to do for the environment, whatever it may be. And of course, if there are consequences of decisions, whether that's through planning committee or other routes, uh, there is offsetting and partnerships you can forge. So one partnership um, that, that I was really pleased to have developed across Nottingham City was the Green Theme Partnership. And that had businesses, universities, uh, engagement from across those uh, edu education sectors, from uh, community groups, et cetera, et cetera. And what you're doing is essentially saying, look, here's the plan, here's the vision. As a local authority, we're not in the space to achieve all this ourselves. So it must be over to those partners across the city to buy in and support that vision. I'm really pleased to say we started to see that, Matt. So we saw businesses come on board and say, OK, the vision's been set for the area. We're going to buy into that. We saw education set to say, OK, we understand uh, what those what the study requirements are or what the uh, what the courses are for the area and we understand our footprint from having a campus and we're going to play our part and what you start to see is a bit of a snowball effect uh, in that respect and you start to see other sectors realize the advantage so for instance retrofitting of properties we know retrofitting properties protects the public purse further down the line so people in properties so gp data is telling us who've had a retrofit to their property no longer live in a cold home 
they are less likely to present with respiratory illness at their GP. So straight away, if you can build a business case, not just around the here and now financial and the capital outlay, but hold on down the line, five, 10, 15 years down the line, the public purse from a health perspective is going to be less impacted due to some of the interventions we took early on that might have had environmental and carbon reduction at the heart. That's a huge change to how we look at business cases and bringing in partnerships that can work in that way make uh, make a lot of the the vision we've got make sense, Matt. Just on that then, so um, with retrofit, for those at home who've never heard that phrase before, what is it? What is retrofit in, in the context of a domestic and a commercial building? Yeah, so it's for me, there's there's always those three pillars around achieving uh, or reducing carbon, but achieving carbon neutrality in the domestic, commercial and transport. In essence, they're broadly three. And as you say, retrofit, which is the complete change of a of a dwelling um, and 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 ultimately uh, on a domestic front, changing it from something that's emitting carbon and being a big burden and, and not very efficient, costing more to heat and run uh, and emitting a lot of carbon as a result. It's changing that. So that could be a complete change. So external cladding on the property, uh, renewable energy sources, solar PV, ground source heat pumps, air source heat pumps, uh, potentially um, smart monitoring in the property, reconfiguration of the walls in there uh, or the building layout itself. So you make it ultimately super energy efficient. And what you try and do whilst you're doing it and while you're changing that uh, that building in that way, you try and ensure you're doing it for the long term. So actually, you're not going to keep needing to revisit that property for other maintenance, so roof replacement, whatever it may be. So it's trying to get that property up to a 2050 standard today mm-hmm. and making sure it's achieving those carbon neutral net zero standards. I think the big challenge is there's that many archetypes of property on the domestic front and certainly across Nottingham and Nottinghamshire. Uh, there's probably about broadly 10 archetypes of property. Some of those are, are newer and relatively light touch. So you can spend a relatively small amount of money on on, on that property. Some are really in need. And obviously that's where we're ensuring we lever in government grant, all the recent acronyms, GHG, Green Homes Grants, uh, Sustainable Warmth Competition, SWC, the list goes on, uh, Home Upgrade Grants, HUG. Uh, we're levering that cash in so we can make that happen. Uh, and there's a huge amount to do there to to achieve that, that kind of change and that transition, whether it's uh, public owned uh, housing stock or whether it's privately owned. There's There's a lot to do, big strides being made, uh, but I think the private sector, those delivery agents and the supply chains need confidence that this is here to stay. And mm-hmm. that's probably not there yet. Once they get that confidence, I think we'll see costs come down uh, and we'll see this as a matter of course being rolled out as a real maintenance option. And as you say, Matt, commercial, equally as challenging, uh, different things that can be done. And obviously trying to ensure businesses have got access to uh, to grants or support initially to kickstart it, but ultimately, much like the solar PV transition, where it becomes business as usual and it's not reliant on grant to make it happen. So a whole load of work to do there, uh, but it will transform and retrofit is fundamental. It's got to happen in order for us to hit those environmental standards. It's so interesting because I think one of the things that Nottinghamshire has done so well is is in empowering the the corporate agenda around climate change. And, and evidence for that is actually in your job title. Director of Green Growth, Investment and Assets, which uh, just for those listening at home is not a job title that I've ever heard um, in in any other authority, which I think and also the the fact that green growth comes first is clearly trying to link, you know, economic regeneration and inward investment into the community. 
alongside carbon neutrality. It's not a we have to be carbon neutral or we have to develop the the regeneration, the economic regeneration. It's very much we can deliver those two agendas at the same time. Yeah. How hard is that though? How hard is it to have carbon neutrality aligned with economic regeneration? Yeah, for, for me, you're absolutely right, Matt. And so, so to think that under my remit, I've got uh, planning, I've got uh, all property and assets, I've got economic regeneration, um, I've got infrastructure, new transport infrastructure. So I've got all that under my remit. And, and as you say, it, it kicks off with green. And, and my what I find really exciting is linking the two. So I'm a huge advocate that you can see economic regeneration uh, hand in hand with carbon neutrality. You can see property management hand in hand with carbon neutrality and you can see planning hand in hand with carbon neutrality. So it's the whole place agenda. I think having uh, environmental and, and carbon credentials at the core is really important. That's not to say you're not going to do things that uh, you, you see emissions from. Of course you are. But the key there is that you offset that in the right way and you work collaboratively to, to deliver that offsetting. Uh, that carbon offsetting so you're you're not having a negative impact on the environment what that means is your residents and citizens uh, air quality is improved uh, they've got those sustainable options to choose from because you're building that in at the at the outset and the build the public buildings the access uh, they know are being managed in the right way and so it really is about being holistic and joining all the dots on those really important agendas we've got in front of us in respect to the environment, but also economic regeneration, um, and and of course on the back of COVID, how we how we um, as as public servants uh, deliver our roles in different ways, hybrid working. Obviously, we're speaking over uh, remotely today, and and such like, and how that's playing its part and having a big impact. Uh, so I think they can all work really well together as long as you give it the foresight and planning at the outset. And of course, not to say you're going to take decisions that that might have an adverse effect, but at least you know what that adverse effect is. I think that's really, really vital. You've got to understand the impact of what you're doing and probably something historically uh, that's that's not been well rounded. Right now, I think we're in a much better place for understanding those consequences and being able to deliver much more on the basis of that. But it's one of those things that I was talking to my mother-in-law about this yesterday, that actually if you are informed and you have the information, it's far it's then an active decision if you choose to not go in a in a positive route, whether that be climate change, whether it be anything. But, uh, you know, yeah. giving the fact that you've got the leadership of that function with yourself at the very front part of that decision making process is do we have the right agenda here in terms of the right um, methodology around tackling climate change? Doesn't Obviously, you have all the other factors going in, but giving your employees that uh, that knowledge base is just so important. So you've talked there about new ways of working there. How much of a, as an impact as that has the council? Has the council now working? How does that work? Do you, do you work remotely now or is it hybrid or how does the council approach that? Very much hybrid. Yeah. And, and embrace the hybrid working model, really. And, and, and I think all authorities went through that stage, didn't they, of uh, COVID impact and not necessarily um, understanding exactly what that meant. Um, and, and moving remotely uh, for pretty much everything. And we saw uh, uh, it was intriguing, really, because we were unable to do that in some respects. But obviously, everyone overnight went to that way of working. Uh, and we saw over a period of about three months, actually, productivity went up. People were, uh, the commute had, had disappeared for certain people and people were realising they could do a lot by teams. Um, and then, of course, there was the point where people, that culture needed to be, you know, people needed to touch base, new starters. So there's a realisation that actually the hybrid model is going to be the way to go. Um, and, and absolutely, the authorities I've been in through that time, we've embraced it. Authorities across the Midlands are 
have embraced it and and it seems to be a really effective way of working so you know a, a week where people uh, sometimes in the office and, and sometimes working remotely and uh, and very much uh, output focused as far as as far as delivery so that blend seems to be seems to be going well different for different teams of course matt um and and a real ability to to flex that as has meant that the the kind of general uh increase in efficiency i think is being felt across uh, all areas of working amazing i mean you talked to the last kind of uh, uh topic on the agenda you talked earlier about um climate change when you were talking about the uh those energy hubs across the midlands that you were leading on at nottingham city do you think that devolution is the way forward to tackle climate change? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and and for for the work we're currently doing, and and I'm leading the chapter on environment and net zero for the uh, prospective East Midlands uh, mayoral county combined authority. Um, I I think that the work I've been doing has shown a real um, a real passion across those top tier authorities, but also the districts across Derbyshire and Nottinghamshire um for this agenda and a real desire to work in collaboration to make this happen much like we spoke about at the outset some authorities not necessarily got a uh, resource to put to this so working on this one uh, uh on this particular agenda across uh across uh, authorities really key what we're seeing is the chapters really starting to come together across all those environmental agendas so we've already seen uh, 9.9 million allocated ahead of devolution formally happening for retrofit so that's great and that's an equal split across our districts and boroughs and the two cities across uh derbyshire and, and nottinghamshire that's great so there's a, a roughly 600k each for for retrofit and we've seen a joint working approach around a local area energy plan come together a late so that's literally us being able to say street by street across derbyshire and nottinghamshire what energy intervention will be needed in, in order to achieve net zero. We know the bill for that's going to be huge, but at least we've got the master plan and then we can look at sourcing the capital, sourcing the grant to make that happen. So I think that's a really, really important one and work where we're galvanised. And then there's other strands, Matt. So a lot of it that we've put together, authorities have said waste management, actually, can we get a better deal from the private sector if we do things in collaboration for, for some of that waste disposal? Of course we can. So let's look to work closer using the Environment Act from 2021 to make that happen. Can we look at blue-green infrastructure, use Environment Agency, uh, use use other key partners across the region? Yeah, absolutely we can and that works starting. How can we work more collaboratively across the region to to empower and make that happen? Um, and how can we uh, how can we do a lot of other things on that uh, environmental side of things uh, closer together and aligned and use a lot utilizing devolution and and obviously ultimately a mayor to give us a uh, uh, the real drive for that so i think a real uh, a real angle for us to to achieve uh, great things i think also some of the powers we can draw down so some of the the legislative powers whether that's around uh, the energy act or whether that is around um things we might see with heat network zoning which is going to come on in online in 2025 and ultimately you could see a combined authority making decisions on that in that arena um and i, and I think again that could be quite powerful for uh, for direction of travel pace of change uh, and ultimately getting some of that that cash levered into the region uh, as opposed to having to go to central government to to access that it's going to be fantastic for the area. It's going to be, I think it's going to be absolutely brilliant. And I hope it, it starts a trend across the UK in, in more combined authorities and more devolution, because I do think that a, a local solution is 
you know, the central government absolutely has its position. And I don't, I hate to get this kind of, uh, you know, kind of a pantomime where central bad, local good, but there is so much around the fact that a local solution is, is often the, the best solution. So, um, Wayne, just thank you so much for, for, for talking to us today about um, this absolutely, you know, critically important uh, aspect of local government's responsibility around protecting the environment and, and not only just protecting the environment, protecting the, um, the environment within the communities that you serve. I really do appreciate your time. Thanks, Matt. Great to speak to you. You've been listening to The Truth About Local Government podcast with myself, Matt Masters and Wayne Bexton. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please give it a like, give it a share. Have a great day. Today's episode is sponsored by the UK Leisure Framework, the UK's only dedicated leisure framework. The UK Leisure Framework allows for the direct appointment of a development partner for scoping, design and construction of leisure centres and sports facilities. The framework is available to all UK public sector organisations and has completed over 100 projects to date. For more information, visit leisureframework.co.uk.